Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley filling in for Tom today. I hope you're enjoying a beautiful, warm day. And with me in the studio is Rick Eford. Rick is a longtime Valley resident, loves the Lord, been a faithful pastor, Desert Springs Bible Church for many, many years, and we're going to get to know him up close and personal. Thanks for being here today, Rick. Mark, thanks for the invitation. I'm loving being here, and it's good to be inside where there's air conditioning when it's so hot outside. Yes, yes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead off with a little story. You might have heard me tell you this once in, in the past, but when we were starting Living Streams 32 years ago, I took our first offering to the bank, and uh, we were just opening up an account, and I told the lady, I said, we're opening an account for Living Streams. And she says, oh, I've heard of you. I said, you couldn't have heard of us. We just started. We haven't told anybody. We had like two families in our first meeting in our living room. Good news travels fast. Yeah. Oh, I I know what. I'm sorry. I already blew my opening story. I said, our church is going to be desert streams. And she said, I've heard of you. And then we were confused with desert springs. You guys are desert springs. So we changed our name to living streams and the rest is history. Yeah, The rest is history. Yeah. (laughs) Desert Springs was started in 1977. Uh So that was a few years before you guys started. I wasn't there then. I was at Camelback Bible Church. We moved to the Valley in 1978 and I was involved in an associate role there and then became the senior pastor at Desert Springs in 1986. So give us your story. When did you first start following Jesus? Well, I first started because of my mom and dad who loved the Lord. Mm -hmm. And my dad's a contractor. My wife did a lot of secretarial work or administrative work for him in the home. It was a good thing because she ended up having seven children. Mm-hmm. And so she had a very full-time job as a homemaker. And and Where uh, were you in that birth order? Number one. Really? Yeah, I'm the, the oldest of eight myself. I was a guinea pig, the first of seven. Uh-huh. So anyway, but that was in North Carolina. And my mom and dad loved the Lord. I grew up mm-hmm. knowing that, never knew anything but that. And so early in my life, I made a commitment to Christ. And like many people, I drifted, wandered away during mm-hmm. my teenage years and had to decide if that was going to be my parents' faith or mine. Yeah. And honestly, I went through a phase of what I call my chameleon Christianity phase, mm-hmm. where I tried to change my color depending on what group I was with. Right. That didn't right. work too well. You know, the Bible it's not very it fulfilling, hypocr- is it? Oh, no. Besides, it's sin. The yeah. Bible calls it hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And so between high school and college is when I really was convicted of that sin, and I made a commitment to follow Christ and didn't understand that that would lead into ministry until a number of years later. I went into college thinking I would be a dentist mm-hmm. and follow the Lord, serving Him as a dentist, and and yet I had opportunity for ministry, and the Lord directed me, gave me a call to, mm-hmm. to preach His Word and to, to shepherd His people, and that's what I've been really doing ever since. And what? how old were you when you first started to preach? Oh, gosh, i got to do the math. Probably 20. 20? Yeah, 20, 21. It's a good age like to that. get started, yeah, huh? Was, yeah. feel like you got the rest of your life ahead of you. And where, where did you grow up in the Lord after North Carolina? Uh, I went to a small Christian liberal arts college, Bryan College in mm-hmm. Dayton, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in my life, I was really surrounded with some peers who took their faith in Christ seriously. 
and I had, as I said, ministry opportunities mm-hmm. there. So I graduated with there with a degree in biology and a minor in Bible and in Greek. And then I went on from there to graduate school at Dallas Seminary for four years before coming to Phoenix. My guest is Rick Eford. He's been one of the founding pastors of, uh, well, founding pillars, I should say, of the community here for many years. And we're going to find out about what God is doing in his life now and an exciting ministry he's involved in in the Congo as well. Stay tuned. This is Mark Buckley. We'll be right back. Cornelia, this is Mark Buckley. We're glad to have you with us. We're going to be talking with Rick Eford, and he's been the pastor of Desert Springs Bible Church for over 30 years. Rick, give us your ministry background. Before, you said you were at Camelback Bible. Um, What were you doing there? Uh, I did ministry for high school students Mm -hmm. after for about six years, six Mm -hmm. and a half years, and was content to do that the rest of my life. And yet I sensed the Lord leading me into a more of adult ministry, and I went to the board and said, I think it's my time here is over. Mm-hmm. I, they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'll be ministering to, to adults, mm-hmm. uh, leadership training, development, small groups, those types of things. And But I still love to preach. And, and they said, well, where will you go? I said, I really don't know. And they said, would you stay here if we had a place? And I said, sure. So they opened up an opportunity. I stayed another couple of years until uh, I received a call from a search committee at, at Desert Springs Bible mm-hmm. Church, and they asked me if I would come as the senior pastor. So, And what was that like, being a senior pastor for the first time? Well, I was the only one, so it was easy to say I was a senior pastor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it was interesting. It was difficult because I had been associated with the staff and with the team, and now I was a solo pastor, and that was There's hard. a lot of pressure when you're a solo pastor, there isn't is. there? Yeah, there is. And I had a lot of opportunities to preach and disciple when I was at Camelback, but going mm. to Desert Springs was was a change from that standpoint. It really helped me to, to grow. Where and, was the church meeting in those days? In the property where we are now, mm-hmm. uh, they, they had moved into the building that they had owned property on at the corner of Tatum and Paradise Lane for mm-hmm. a number of years. They moved into that building in February, and, and I came in March. And so what did the building process burn the other guy out? or? Well, no. He had actually—this is a credit to the elders, to the mm-hmm. volunteer leaders that we had there and their mm-hmm. spiritual maturity, Mark— uh, their pastor came to them and said that he was going to be leaving to take a position to teach in a mm-hmm. Bible college. Mm-hmm. And the school at Liberty Elementary School came and said, you've been here meeting here too long. It's time for you to move out. Yeah. So they went through a pastoral search and a building program. Simultaneously? No pastor there. Wow. So it can be done. That's, uh, so that's anyway, amazing. It's a credit to the leadership that was there then. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been a great ride. I've enjoyed being there for the last 30 years. And, and tell us about the development of the church. What was it like when you first arrived? You were the only guy on staff? was the only one. It was a, a gathering of people that had a great pioneer spirit but mm-hmm. had not grown very much numerically. Uh, you know, there was very service-oriented. That's mm-hmm. still a part of the DNA of the church. Uh, if you wanted something done, they were very much involved in crisis in- intervention and yeah. 
and caregiving and those types of things, a wonderful, wonderful foundation to build on. Um, as I said, it was difficult when you're setting up tent signs for people to have a location. The church right. doubled pretty much in the first year. They started with about 80 or 90 people when I came, uh, if you want to count the dogs yeah. and cats and goldfish mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. depends how you count noses. And uh, then I think very much largely the uh, the location and the visibility of the church yeah. was a huge thing. Sure. So, and we just loved on people, preached God's word, and and we saw people come to faith in Jesus and begin to grow in Him. Some marvelous things about how people just for the first time in their life uh, understood more about a relationship with Christ and what it meant. Now that was a game changer, life changer. Amen. So if you were talking to a young pastor and he's starting out and he's got a congregation of 80 people and he's getting his salary paid just barely and mm-hmm. would love to add staff but has no money, uh, what are some of the things you would tell a young guy in terms of how do you stay healthy, how do you stay focused, how do you trust God through those early years? Well, I would say, first of all, take advantage of the time. It's going to be quieter because the phone's not going to ring as much and there's not going to be many people beating down the door. So take advantage of that time to really invest in time in the Word and yeah. understand that this is not your ministry. You are serving the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, and and get to know him better. Uh, get make, your roots deep. Huh? Get your roots deep is exactly right. And and don't neglect your family. A lot of a lot of us, especially we talked about being firstborn or somewhat right. competitive or driven or whatever mm-hmm. else. A lot of us in trying to launch something, get it. There's there's so much to be done, and it's right. so open ended. There's, ne- there's ne- neg- never a finish. There's never a finish. You, so you could neglect your family in the process. Mm-hmm. And I would say, don't do that. That's uh, yeah. In that's the name of doing the Lord's work, you can almost work without faith because you begin to believe it all depends on you. Exactly. That's what I wrestled with, uh, burning myself out to a certain extent. Not that I ever disliked the ministry, but I just, when you're running on adrenaline that God gives you for emergencies, you're using that just to keep as many plates in the air as you can. It it doesn't even help the church in the long run. It hurts in the long run. Yeah. The other thing I would say, Mark, and this is more organizationally, especially as you're there as a solo, Mm -hmm. really develop a close relationship with the men and women who are leaders in that church that God has already given you, and to reach out to other people in the community, other churches, other church leaders, find out what they're doing, what's working, what's not, uh, what their challenges are, develop a network of relationships with others Mm -hmm. so that you know, even though you may be the only pastor in that environment at that time, that you're not the only one in the community. And uh, I just think that God never designed us to go solo. Even when he first sent us, even when the Lord first sent us the disciples, he did it two by two. Right. And there's a lot of wisdom in that, that we need one another. It's true. And so... The body of Christ is really interconnected. And if it isn't, then we're disconnected and we're like the vine that's not part or the branch not part of the vine. Right. It's just not very healthy at all. So who are some of the men that the Lord knit your hearts with, your heart with over the years here in the valley? Well, when I first came to Camelback, I only didn't know uh, who I was going to be working with. Uh, Dr. Malcolm Cronk, who had been at Wheaton Bible Church mm-hmm. and Church of the Open Door in Los Angeles, he followed J. Vernon McGee. Oh, really? Yeah, that would have been a challenge, I imagine. It was a big challenge. That's a story for a different day. But 
Uh, and by the way, I went up to see um, Dr. Cronk lived to about 101. Wow. I, my wife and I, Emily, went up to be with him on his 100th birthday wow, in Illinois, neat. which was so rich. How wonderful. But when I came, I didn't know who I'd be working with, mm-hmm. and that's usually the kiss of death. It's, mm-hmm. it's a prescription for a very short tenure yeah. for an associate. And yet I'd prayed, Lord, if you want me to be involved in an associate role, please give me a senior leader who, one, has something to impart to a younger man, and secondly, is willing to take the time to do that. Yeah. And God abundantly answered those prayers in Malcolm Cronk. So he was a key player in those days for me. And then the staff that was developed there, mm-hmm. uh, some of the uh, young men that I worked with to, to, to mentor, that mentoring went both ways. Right. There some solid college guys. Brian Mountjoy was one. He's, pen, he's ministering in Dallas, Texas today and, and a number of others. Uh, friends that God brought in that were in ministry, Daryl Del Husay, mm-hmm. who moved in the street just one house away from where my wife oh, and really? I lived. Yeah. Actually, the guy— Daryl's such a character, too. And this is a great story, Mark. Uh, Daryl and I bought homes, and there was one home that was in between us, and we know this from the guy who was selling— the guy that bought that house was not real happy. He had two preachers. <laughs> he hadn't been praying for preachers he to had move not. in. <laughs> but you know what? God gave us a great relationship over the years, mm-hmm. and we walked with him as his wife got cancer, and she died. Wow. And we had the privilege of seeing him come to faith in Jesus just about a year later than that. Wow. And uh, just I've had the privilege of doing a wedding for one of his sons and uh, just to do the pre-marriage counseling that's there. And God really did. And his wife also came to faith just before she died. There was a woman who was actually a nurse, and she was in, uh, in our church, in our congregation mm-hmm. at Desert Springs at the time. And she was with her and praying with her and talking with her and sharing the gospel with her. And just she was really resistant. But right on the day that she died, just hours before her death, just she said, yes, Lord. And a peace came over that room and over that woman like nothing Wow. You could describe. It's a little dangerous to wait till the last moment. And it's way dangerous. You know, I don't I, recommend I, that. I, yeah, and, and most people don't understand that that's more rare than common. It is. You know what I mean? If somebody it says is. no to the Lord for a long time, usually they say no right up to the end. Um, but you guys loved your neighbor as yourself. That's awesome. Well, and we had the opportunity during that time to really demonstrate what Christ-like love was. And yeah. it wasn't he wasn't a member of our church. He, and, right. he was, and I so respect and appreciate Daryl uh, and Holly and Emily and I having the opportunity to minister to someone that God placed right there in our That's back neat. door. So. Well, you're, you're living what we're hoping our people are doing. We're hoping everybody that is in our congregation, that they're actually sharing their faith with their neighbors, that they're actually using their business as an influence, not just to get a product delivered, but to be an influence for the kingdom. That's Mm -hmm. their congregation. That's their, you know, they're the the pastors of their little flock, wherever God's put you, isn't it? That's right. Without a question. So, Rick, um, over the years, who are some of the spiritual mentors in your life besides um, the natural relationships that God gave you? Who are some of the authors, some of the leaders that have had an influence on you? Well, I would say first and foremost, I alluded to it earlier, my mom and my dad Mm -hmm. were the primary uh, influencers in my life. I I saw them live out the Christian faith on a day-to-day basis. And uh, Dad was very much involved in Boy Scouts, which I was, as mm-hmm. well as four of my brothers. Uh, and he gave 
incredible amounts of time doing that. And I watched him in his ministry, not only as a home builder, but also with the Gideons International. And he was the uh, president of Gideons International for three years. Oh, that's great. So I watched that, and that was very formative to Mm me. Um, I would say that the guys that I mentioned earlier have had a profound influence in my life. Uh, Some of the authors, one of the key places for me in really in ministry coming to the point of having the right motivation for ministry because I was basically, as Gordon MacDonald would put it in his book, Ordering a Private World, mm-hmm. I was a driven person. Mm-hmm. That may not have shown to a lot of people, but I was eat up, eaten up with it right. on the inside. And um, reading his book, Ordering a Private World, was very influential to me. Uh, and then later on it came out that he was not, his private world was right. not ordered. Right. But, you know, I still respect how Gordon MacDonald has responded to that since. Right. He and his wife right. are still together. They're still involved in ministry. Yeah, he, it's not like he tried to hide it all. He went ahead and let even his failure be something that God would use to help others. Absolutely. Uh, so that was influential. Uh, Dr. Larry Crabb was influential as well. I took a week-long seminar with him and spent some time with him. So in, in understanding my own heart and own motivations for ministry, God's used him. And then there's just a host of others, Mark, that we can talk about maybe when we come back from the break. Well, I want to find out a little bit about the Congo when we come back. My guest is Rick Eford. He's got a ministry here in the Valley, and also he spent three weeks in the Congo this summer. He's got some stories to tell. We're going to be right back after these messages. Stay tuned to Faith Talk 1360. This is Koinonia. Welcome back to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley, and my guest is Rick Eford, pastor, a uh, long time in this valley with Desert Springs Bible Church. He's going through a transition right now, still at Desert Springs, turned it over to a young man from the next generation, and we're going to find out about that before we're done with the program. But Rick, you just spent three weeks in the Congo, and I, I want to take some time and hear about your trip. What motivated you, what's going on there, and how did it impact you? Well, you know, Mark, um, we had the privilege of being with Dr. Steve and Celeste Tracy. Steve is a theologian, author, and his wife, Tracy, uh, Celeste, is a, a counselor, mm-hmm. a licensed counselor, and, and they have a, a group called Mending the Soul Ministries. I first met Steve when I was working with um, Phoenix Seminary, still mm-hmm. with Phoenix Seminary. Still, Steve still teaches there, and uh, there was a kinship and a relationship that was developed um, I've always respected their heart for people who have been abused uh, in many ways, especially sexually abused, mm-hmm. and, and they have this ministry of bringing biblical principles to bear on the whole healing and mending yeah. process, hence yeah. mending the soul. Yeah. And their conviction has been to go where there's the greatest need and the least amount of resources. Mm-hmm. Well, Congo fits both of those bills. And uh, Congo, the part of Congo, eastern Congo we were in, is considered by the U.N. as the rape epicenter of the world. Really? With all of the terrorist activity, uh, with a real misogynistic view of Mm -hmm. women 
across the culture that's there. There is just uh, tremendous and horrible abuse. And so as we talked with Steve and Celeste about this, as my wife and I did, Emily had said, well, I think we should go. Had they ever been there before? Oh, yes. They go every year. They've Mm -hmm. been, I'm guessing, 10 or 12 times. Mm -hmm. And they've developed a number of networks of relationships that are there. So it's not just flying in and not be connected. It's working with individuals. We actually were working with a group called uh, UCBC, which is the a bilingual, a Christian bilingual university of Congo, and they're doing a phenomenal job there in the town of Benny, and it has outreach throughout the country and beyond. So uh, we were worth with them. We had a ten-person multidisciplinary team that were there. There's Steve and Celesta. There's other individuals that helped them with the training. What Emily and I did was to teach some of the students from UCBC through mm-hmm. the two weeks that we were actually doing ministry mm-hmm. there. And um, every person that we met with, and invariably, this is not an ex- uh, this is not hyperbole. Literally, everyone we had talked to had had horrible trauma in their lives. Either having being a rape survivor, having watched someone that they loved raped just horribly, uh, murdered in front of them, abused, physically injured or killed, maimed. I mean, it's just there were there were terrorist activities and massacres in villages within two weeks of the time that we were there. Really, what tell us what the political situation is there now? Roughly, give us an overview. How many people are in the nation? What kind of civil war or guerrilla stuff is going on? I don't know how many people are in the nation, Mark. I probably should, but we were so focused it was you can't see the forest for the trees type yeah. of thing. Um, but I do know that the political climate is uh, unstable. It's corrupt. Uh, we experience some of that. Bribery is, is rampant. Um, the U.N. is there, but it, it's limited as to where they will engage and where they will not. Mm-hmm. And the people were actually demonstrating in the streets because the government and the police and the Army didn't seem to be intervening with some of these more recent massacres. And the massacres are being perpetrated by who? That's a great question. Even talking to people that live there, uh, David Casali was the founder of UCBC. Mm-hmm. He was at an outstanding evangelical seminary in, in Kenya and left there as the president at a real positive time to go back into Congo because that's his home country. And even talking with him and his wife, they don't know for sure who they are. It, it depends. ISIS is beginning to get more of a toehold in there. So there's some Muslim influence. There's beginning to be more Muslim influence from across mm-hmm. the border. Uh, Kony was pushed from Sudan and northern Uganda across the border into Congo because there's so much jungle there, and it's such a strategically located place. It's right in the heart of Africa. It's the largest country on the continent. Uh, it's rich in mineral resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the resor- some of the minerals that go into our cell phones that we all are so dependent upon, right. which are very rare, are located there. So it's a it's a everybody wants a piece of it, so to speak. And so um, a lot of people are coming into there because they can hide and they can stay away from government reprisal and. And the surrounding countries seem to be happy if the terrorists aren't with them as much as in Congo, so they'll even bust them or ship them in. Oh, my goodness. You know. What a grief. How, how bad was the poverty? Uh, poverty was like many c- countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. One of our hosts, I was asking him about the rainy season and how green everything was. He says, yeah, you'd think that. Why are we starving? 
you yeah. know, when we could grow stuff all year long? And that's a good question. But a part of it is those that work hard produce crops that get stolen from them by the uh, by the some of the terrorist groups. So there's that destroys the incentive if there isn't Correct. people people don't understand that in the United States law, order, justice are really really important issues because of that very thing. If if you can't grow crops because people are going to steal it, then who's going to the make themselves vulnerable? You know, right? But. I got to tell you, all of that aside, the Congolese people that we're working with are marvelous. It was such an honor to be with them. And uh, for instance, there was one pastor that took the training who just a few weeks before had been in a village called Erengeti, Mm -hmm. and uh, terrorists had come in. They had raised the village. They broke through the door of his house. They debated for about an hour and a half in front of him and his wife and his children whether to kill them or not. But because of superstition, some of the ones said, no, he's a man of God. We shouldn't do that because it will bring a curse on us. Others said, no, well, it doesn't matter. Let's kill him anyway and go. Well, they didn't, but he escaped with just the clothes on his back. He was in the training, and the very day after the training was with a group of others, laying a strategy to go right back into the same village to do the trauma care, the, the recovery care for those that were still alive. When, when you're faced with that, another pastor had had his daughter raped, abducted three different times by groups that would come through marauders and take her away basically as a sex slave. She, when she got pregnant, they would let her go. Mm-hmm. Well, she's raising three children that are products of rape, to probably never be married, but they're still ministering to those people in a wow. phenomenal way. Um, they're just... T- t- give us a little background on in terms of how they would approach somebody. If if there's a woman, she's been raped, she's been abused, she's very fearful probably, very cautious, right. fe- feeling like she's got a lot of shame, what's the approach they use to pray with her, to talk with her, to minister to her? Well, obviously, you've asked a question that we spent over a week doing some specialized mm-hmm. training, about eight mm-hmm. hours a day. So I would say first, identity truth of who she is in Christ and mm-hmm. the, the healing that is there in him and the, the difference between forgiveness mm-hmm. and trust is huge. Uh, to really talk about the fact that this is not your sin and it's not of your shame, there is evil in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, to try to deal with the larger group on the value, God's view of the high and holy place of women and the value that should be placed upon women, you know, as as counterparts in the entire um, marriage and the community and in the culture. I mean, it's just there's so much that needs to be there, but there is a hunger, and there are people that are getting that and people that are now living that. And they're the heroes, Mark. We're there three three weeks, and we leave and come home. They're there 365 days a year, and they're living for Christ. They're demonstrating this, and it's just marvelous to be able to to be ministered to by them, but also to be able to equip them. Um, there's a, a young guy that we met whose his name is Juma. He's he's from um, uh, from Uganda, but he was really our team leader and is now on the ground. He's in East Africa with mm-hmm. mending the soul. Uh, Juma grew up in a home uh, not unlike a lot of others. Uh, he's a young guy. His dad was a polygamist, and so his mother was Kenyan and found disfavor somehow in the family, so she needed to go home. And it wasn't safe for him to go with her, so he stayed with his family. Well, can imagine being bounced from hut to hut with stepmothers. And and they're not too happy about him because... They're not happy at all. 
he's not their child. Right, and he's being abused mercilessly. And it came to the point where he would be tied out at night for the hyenas to get by one of the stepmoms. He said, I got really good at fighting off hyenas. Are you kidding? I'm dead serious. How terrifying. Well, even even what broke it even more, as an 11 or 12-year-old, he comes home from school, and one of his stepbrothers says, don't eat that. His food his mother had provided for him. And he said, well, why not? He said, because mom put poison in it. And uh, he said, he just thought I was trying to, he was get, trying to get into my head. So I went to eat it, and he knocked it out of my hand and kicked the bowl out of my lap. And he said, I was so angry with him, and yet a dog came by and ate it and very shortly started running around in circles yelping and died. Oh, my goodness. And he, went to my, he said, I went to my dad and told him, look what your wife did. She tried to kill me, and his dad's response was, you should have died. You're a lot of trouble. Wow. He said, at that point, I knew it was safer for me to be on the streets than to be at home. And so he ran away from home at 11 or 12, and somehow in the course of that found his way to a church. A godly pastor and his wife took him in, got him back re-enrolled in school. Very long story, trying to cut short, but he came to faith in Christ because he'd seen Christian love demonstrated. He got involved in school. He's an excellent student, good mind. They encouraged him to get involved in another school and ministry called Cornerstone, there a teacher came alongside of him and said, you know, if you continue this, if you make A's in these classes, I think I can get you a scholarship. And he ended up going to uh, a university, the second largest university in, in Uganda, a university of 45,000 students. Wow. He became the senior body president. And he is now running a, a, a ministry for children at risk. He has 400 pastors that he's responsible for. He's been directly involved in planning numerous churches, and now he's on staff with Mending the Soul. I don't know what he does in his free time, but what a wonderful picture of God's grace, Mark. Yeah. It's just incredible, and we had the privilege of associating with learning from... And we we have people that both of us know who will say, you know, they basically have this horrible rejection complex because their dad didn't say I love you enough or something you know what yes. I mean and they're using that as an excuse to not trust God for the rest of their life or something my guest is Rick Eford and uh, we're going to continue to discuss the ministry he's been involved in which is pretty profound I'm Mark Buckley from Living Stream stay tuned we'll be right back after these messages My guest is Rick Eford. He's been telling us about his recent trip to the Congo. Rick, um, after being there for three weeks and and experiencing some of the pain and the grief and also some of the sense of the power of the gospel to bring comfort and grace to people, what are you going to do in terms of ongoing support or participation? What's the Lord put on your heart uh, in terms of ongoing relationship with those folks? Well, my wife and I have been to Africa several times. Just this was the first time to Congo. So this is not a new thing for us. And 
for whatever reason, the Lord's put that on periodically. Every mm-hmm. couple of three years, we make a trip to Africa and mm-hmm. to re-engage. Uh, we have encouraged others to support financially uh, through prayer, through different types of ministry partnerships, um, not just child adoption, which is very important, uh, but also different projects that come up. And so we've tried to mobilize people in our church. We've tried to get the word out to other people that there's ways to do this. I had somebody come, though, from uh, from our fellowship at Desert Springs and ask, well, would you take a group over to do that type of work from here? And I said, probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, it's too dangerous um, because it really is. There's open hostility. And secondly, yeah. it's a more specialized type of ministry. But wherever, there's so much need in the continent of Africa that I think basically there's some great, some good and godly people that are there, but they, they're they're operating sort of out of sight and hopefully not out of mind. So it's a matter of they need our help. They need our help in prayers. They need our help in finances. But not every – it's like anything else you would invest in. You want to research it well you know, before you go putting money towards something right. because there's so much that can be siphoned off and misused. I've got a friend named John Riley who's over in Uganda right now, mm-hmm. and John's been going over there for many years. Where uh, in Uganda? I'm not sure the city, but he works with a group that ministers to orphans, many of whom right. have come out of like the Lord's Resistance Army and right. groups like that. Uh, they have experienced, like you said, horrific things. Some of them have actually participated in horrific things because there's leaders that say basically either you kill this person or we right. kill you. And, uh, and sometimes he, family members. Right, right. There, um, one of the things he's talked to me about is these little boys who have night terrors. They just wake yeah. up screaming every night, and he'll work with them. He'll pray with them. He'll share Christ with exactly. them to heal their soul. Because one of the things that you know I think has been a mistaken notion in American Christianity is that all you have to do is say a prayer and accept Jesus, and once you've said the prayer, then everything's fine. Well, you know, in the book of Acts, in Acts 8, you know, Philip went and preached Christ, and then, you know, demons left people, and then all kinds of things happened, and then they got filled with the Holy Spirit when Peter and John came down and prayed over them. There's a lot of ministry that needs to take place so that, you know, theology isn't just what Christ did 2,000 years ago, but Grace is something they experience, exactly. healing, deliverance, and comfort from the Holy Spirit today in their hearts, in their souls. And Mark, that's a key part of why I felt like this was a good investment of time to go, and, and that is that we were investing into caregivers. We were investing yeah. into pastors, social workers, uh, people with various NGOs that were boots on the ground there. Right. And so we were investing into them and equipping them to to do the work that God has uniquely called them mm-hmm. to do. And so that's uh it's that's one of the things I would look at is where you can you not just provide direct ministry but where can you provide equipping and support for those who are who need the training, who need the financial resources, who need the the just the encouragement. Can't tell you how much an encouragement it was for people just to know that we came. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people can't see uh, you and me because this is radio, but we both have a lot of white hair because we, right. we're a little long in the tooth, Mark. But uh, 
when they were celebrating at the end of the conference, one of the ladies in Swahili, and this was coming through an interpreter, said, oh, we're so thankful that you came. You're so old. Yeah. And so I was going, what? what is that? Actually, it's a compliment. You don't see a lot of gray hair there. Mm-hmm. And what she was really saying, our interpreter said, I hope you're not offended because that was a huge compliment. She said, you're old, but you didn't stay in your comfort zone. Yeah. You left the comfort of your home. You left the safety of your home to come here to be with us. Thank you for doing that. Well, that what Jesus said is if you leave houses, mothers, brothers, and sisters, for my name's sake, you'll receive a hundredfold in this world with persecutions. Right and in the world to come, everlasting life. And the worst with persecutions is like, don't kid yourself, there's going to be some hard things. You will suffer, but there's a multiplication Mm -hmm. of your ministry, right? And the fellowship that you've experienced is really enriching, isn't it? Right. Well, you know, you asked me how we started with this. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. I was talking with one of my neighbors who was concerned about us going, Mm -hmm. And I don't know where she is with the Lord. There's not a yeah. there's not an evident faith basis there, and so um, she sometimes looks at what we do and, and is wondering. And she, she was talking then to my wife, and she says, "Why does he always take you to such dangerous places?" Right. And Emily looked there and says, "You don't understand. It was my idea." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so how this really started was my my wife's heart for this. And like the first time we went to Africa, she said, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I want to work with Watoto Children's Ministry and they're in Uganda and you can come if you want to. (laughs) And so sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life, Mark, sounds a lot like the voice of my wife with an East Tennessee accent. So congratulations. A woman is the glory of man and you've created uh, an environment that's made her want to put her faith into action, which really is what it's all about. And I want to address that for just a moment. Sure. Revelation twelve eleven says that they there was war in heaven, and Michael and the archangel Michael the archangel uh, fought with the dragon and his angels, and and they were cast out of heaven. And then it says, and they and brought down to earth, and they overcame him. The saints overcame the devil. By the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, because they love not their life even unto death. Exactly. And there is something about having to face the fear of death, that Mm -hmm. if you're not willing to face the fear of death and say, you know, I may die on this trip, but I'm going because I believe Jesus wants me to go. If you're not willing to face it, you're going to just stay home and you're never going to find the fulfillment in ministry, the fruitfulness that God has for you. The reason many people don't share their faith is because they're afraid they're going to be judged. They're going to afraid something. They could, this will happen or that will happen. And their fear quenches what God wants to do. Exactly. You know, there's a great line in the movie Braveheart. And the the principal character, William Wallace, is saying this, all men die, Mm -hmm. few men truly live. Yeah. Boy, is that a true statement. And I think as long as we're saying, Lord, is this where you want me to be? Um, in some senses, it's the safest place on earth. In other cases, like Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Yeah. And to die, then that would be gain. And, you know, we can do lip service to that. We can glibly say that. We can put that on a plaque on the wall. <clears throat> but when we're really facing the potential of that, it does have a, a, a refining process to our faith. Yep. 
It does. We This last year, we've been in Belize, and we've been in Honduras. Honduras is now the murder capital of the world. My wife goes to Mexico every month. Mm-hmm. But I remember when my uh, one and only trip to Africa, I was speaking to a group of pastors and leaders, and I said, I always thought that if I gave my life to the Lord, he might send me to Africa someday, and I didn't want to go. Well, I gave my life to the Lord. He has sent me to Africa, and this is really cool. I really enjoyed it, you know, because <laughs> when God gives you an assignment, it's for your benefit too, right? I mean, whether it's to visit the prisoner or to visit the person in the hospital or the poor, it's, it's always as much for us as it is for them. Well, that's the true measure of joy. And if you look at the whole issue of abiding in Christ in John 15, at the end of that, Jesus says, these things I've written to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be made full. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. That's that's exactly right. I um, started visiting a prisoner on death row in San Quentin when we were uh, in Marin County for many years. And... Um, I realized right away, I mean, when, when they brought him into this cage to meet with me and, un, and took the handcuffs off of him, I realized if he was to backslide, and we were having an argument uh, on the value of the death penalty. It's not the best kind of argument to have with a guy yeah, on death row. I, but <laughs> he was, I thought okay. if he is to backslide, there's, I'm in big trouble because he was a big guy. But um, I a number of years later, after we had become really good friends, I, I had gone through a real difficult emotional time when I was 44, and um, I had seen a number of psychiatrists, a number of pastors, leaders, psychologists. The guy that ministered to me more effectively than anybody else, his name's Billy Payton. He's on San Quentin death row, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, Mark, your problem isn't this guy or this guy, and he named the guys that I was struggling with. He said, you need to know you're loved by God. You need to know you're secure in Christ. You need, and he just That's preached exactly right. the gospel to me in a way that penetrated a lot of my insecurities and helped me just get centered again. Mm-hmm. And um, you never know who God is going to use. When he gives you an assignment, it's for you as well as for them. That's without a question, Mark. And I've seen that time and time again over almost 40 years of, of ministry, as, as have you. Yeah, yeah. So 40 years of ministry, you're in a transition now. Explain your transition a little bit. Well, uh, my sense was after th- almost 30 years, it has been 30 years now at Desert Springs, that um, I just had a sense within my own heart and mind and, and my wife as well that I wanted the next chapter of ministry, however long that was, to be more invested into the next generation, into men and women that are going to outlive me and whose ministries are going to go on beyond me. Uh, some of my friends that are, are elders at our church have said, it sounds like you want, you're entering into more of a legacy phase of ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And so I approached our board, and I said, I really feel like that, that it's time for me to do this, to free up more time to invest in younger men and women in the community as well as in our church. And I can't do the role of the senior pastor justice mm-hmm. with all of the leadership, all the meetings, all the, the week-in, right. week-out right. preaching, and do that. And so we began a process of determining what's that transition going to look like. And we can talk about that a little bit more in detail after we come back for the break. All righty. My guest is Rick Eford. Um, Stay tuned. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We'll be right back after this message. 
Welcome back. Um, Rick Eifert's been my guest here this afternoon. Rick, um, just give us a quick wrap-up. You've turned the church over to a young man named Caleb. Caleb Campbell is a good man. He's been a part of our staff for 10 years, mm-hmm. and uh, we've known for a long time he would be a senior pastor, just didn't know if it would be at Desert Springs. Right. And so just this last year, we made that transition, and um, and then one of his first actions was to turn around and hire me back. To oh, come. that's sweet. That was very sweet. I appreciated it, and I hope strategic on his part, too. Yes. So I'm I'm investing in leadership development within our church, with our missional community or small group leaders, with our teachers and with others that are there. Um, it's also freed me up to do more of that in the community. I'm doing a lot of that as a director of alumni relations and coaching with Phoenix Seminary, mm-hmm. and I'm just so thankful for this opportunity and excited to see how God is using it already as now I'm beginning to get calls from people saying, could you help me with this, or what about this situation? And you have to just uh, have faith on that, right? In other words, when you're a senior pastor, you don't have to pray about, what am I going to do next week? You've got a plateful every single week. Now, when your calendar's more open, it feels awkward, but at the same time, the calls come in. There's something that the Lord has for you that's meaningful every single day. Absolutely. And one of the key uh, ways of doing that is through Phoenix Seminary, working with the alumni that are there, the men and women that have mm-hmm. come through the school. But it's also investing into the spiritual leaders uh, in the greater Phoenix community. Yeah. So, Mark, if there's anybody out there that, that is needing that help, just give me a call. Rick What's Eifert, the best way to reach you? Either at Phoenix Seminary, that would be the easiest mm-hmm. way, their website or phone number, or at Desert Springs Bible Church. Either one, you'll get me. Rick Eifert's been my guest. Thanks, Rick. God bless you. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity. Desert Springs is a great church. Also, Living Streams is a great church. If you ever want to visit us, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale. And uh, you can look us up on the web at livingstreams.org. I want to thank Tom Brown for allowing us to uh, sit in on his program today. He's a fine guy, and I know you'll enjoy having him back with you this week. I'm Mark Buckley, and uh, I want to encourage you to pray for our country. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastors. Let the Lord's prayer be on your heart. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you.